Hey guys and girls, we have a heck of a show for you today. We have the mailbag episode where we go through and answer tons of questions, listener emails, all those questions. But first, I wanted to tell you about the sponsor of today's show, pristineauction.com. You guys have heard me talk about them on the show before. This is a site where you can go and bid on any item you want. They have helmets, they have jerseys, they have plaques, they have everything you could possibly want. It's all authentic. You'll get a certificate of authenticity from them. All we ask that you guys do is let them know that we sent you. And that's it. Then we get to keep doing giveaways like the one we're doing right now that ends this Sunday. It's a T.Y. Hilton blue signed jersey. All you have to do is go to iTunes, leave a review, take a screenshot of that, send it to contest at fantasypros.com, and you're entered to win that contest and all future contests. Don't want to waste any more time, guys. Let's get into the episode. Welcome back to the Fantasy Pros Football Podcast. I'm Bobby Sylvester with Mike Tagliere, and today our guest is Anthony Amico. He writes for Rotoviz, Number Fire. He is all over the place, and we're going to all be answering your listener mailbag questions today. Anthony, thanks for joining us. What's up, Bobby? What's up, Mike? Thanks for having me on today. Really excited for this. It's our pleasure. So, Anthony, you're also a high school football coach, and I've got to ask you, because when I was playing high school sports, like when I was sitting on the you know, after our varsity basketball game was over and JV was playing, we would like scout out uh, the pregame and then draft fantasy teams of our players and the other team's players. Do you ever have a hard time like thinking of your high school football players as fantasy football players? <laughs> I don't know. Or am I just like the biggest geek in the room? No. Well, I mean, like last year, last year I was thinking about that, like in terms of DFS. I was like, <laughs> I was like, I think I said to one of our coaches, like, I, I was like, I think our quarterback would be like 10K on DraftKings if he, <laughs> if he was available. <laughs> That's fantastic, man. Well, we've got a load of questions to answer today, and we really appreciate you guys sending them in. Keep them rolling in. It's uh, mailbag at fantasypros.com. But before we do that, Tags, you've got some news from this week to talk about. Well, I do. It's, it's, a, it's a little piece of news, but it's something that's very noteworthy, and that's that Jamal Charles is starting to cut on his knee. This is something that we've been waiting to hear out of him. You know, we, we've talked over the past few shows, and, and the fact that Jamal Charles may not make the roster, the way that they designed his contract, it's there's nothing guaranteed to him. I think it's a million dollars that they're essentially going to pay him if, the, if he makes the roster, which is, and then there's built-in incentives and things on that. But Anthony, it's, it's really interesting because we're looking at a backfield that C.J. Anderson, you know, he was really effective playing back with Peyton Manning. I he was even effective after that. And if you basically injuries have been holding this kid back for a little bit. He was supposed to go to the Dolphins. The Broncos match that offer sheet. Then they go and they draft Devonte Booker to play this third down role. And now Jamal Charles comes into the fold. What do we make of this Broncos backfield? Because for me, C.J. Anderson seems like the guy to own, whereas Jamal Charles would be the change of pace guy. But am I wrong? Is it possible that we see the Jamal Charles that we all know and love? I mean, I'm highly skeptical of Jamal Charles coming back and, and being, you know, worth much. I mean, the fact that he's running and cutting is good, but I mean, who knows if he can do it at the level he was, you know, three or four years ago. CJ Anderson, like you said, has been super productive in this offense. Pretty much anytime he's gotten carries, he's been productive. Even, even last year, I thought w- without Peyton Manning, with Trevor Simeon, like when he was getting the work, he played well and he produced fantasy points. So, I mean, he's probably still the guy that, that I'm targeting right now. 
Yeah, people don't know that C.J. Anderson was a top 10 running back when he got hurt last year. I know people were, were a little bit let down, but I went back and I looked through the schedule. C.J. Anderson had he had some really tough matchups, and he actually did pretty well. He was averaging tons of touches per game. For me, Jamal Charles, not many people know. Bobby, did you know that Jamal Charles, yeah, he had his ACL tear that he missed time for, but did you know that he had both of his knees, not just one, both of his knees scoped at the end of last year? Ooh, didn't know that. I mean, I'll tell you what, Jamal Charles... If he is indeed healthy, at first during the offseason, I was really excited about Jamal Charles. Like, he's going to sign somewhere. Everyone's going to forget about how good this guy is. But this situation in Denver, like, if he's healthy, it's just going to make it a mess for everybody. Because Jamal Charles is good. He'll command the ball 8 to 12 times. And you don't want that if you're a C.J. Anderson owner. I mean, he touched the ball at least 16 times every single game he played in last year. And you said he was a top 10 running back. I'll tell you what, he did that against one of the hardest schedules in the league in that time. And everyone was really excited about his upcoming schedule and then he gets hurt. In fact, I traded for him right before he got hurt because that schedule was just so pretty. Yeah, no, it was it was the things were looking on the up and up for CJ Anderson. And that's why I haven't really given up. Someone uh, tweeted me the other day saying they got him in the sixth round. Mike, what's going on? Why is he falling down draft boards? Is there something that I'm missing? And I'm like, no, people are scared about Jamal Charles and Devontae Booker. I mean, Booker's a guy who who had the best opportunity he could possibly get last year and he fell flat on his face. Uh, for me, this is a CJ Anderson's backfield with Jamal Charles at best, I think, mixed in, you know, eight to 10, maybe eight to 12 times per game. And that's fine because that means CJ Anderson's still going to get his 15 touches. Guys, I have a little bit of trivia. I know I said we were going to move right on over to the listener mailbag and I didn't even write this in my notes, but I was looking at this before the show started and I just have to tell you all about it. Okay. So in 2016, uh, do you guys know what uh, VBD is? It was made by Joe Bryan. It's all over pro football reference. Basically what it does is it compares your fantasy points to the last starting position uh, last starting player at your position. So compares the number one quarterback to the number 12 quarterback and so forth. Well, I'm looking at it from last year. Usually you see like the top guys right around 125 to 130. We know David Johnson was number one, but just how high do you think his VBD was last year? Wasn't it like 200 or something like that with, with him? 207. Number three was 128. So LaShawn McCoy, I mean, he's usually... What he did last year would have typically been like the best fantasy player, but David Johnson, man, was almost twice that. He was, but I, I'm, I'm going to put some flames on that pretty soon. Uh, you know, David Johnson, he saw 120 targets last year, and I think it was somewhat out of necessity. So, Anthony, I want to know, do you think that this is, is it possible for David Johnson to continue to see this target share? Because no other running back in the NFL saw more than 94 targets. I mean, you're looking at a team that lost Michael Floyd as the season went on. John Brown was, you know, dealing with a sickle cell treatment. He had a cyst on his spine. You know, J.J. Nelson is a role player. Jerron Brown was hurt. There was so many things going on with this Cardinals team. Team, do you think it's possible that David Johnson returns that type of value again in 2017? I mean, anything is possible, but I would say it's probably not likely. Like the, the, the one thing that I think was in common with guys like David Johnson, guys like Le'Veon Bell, who are, who are used so heavily in the passing game, their teams just didn't have any receivers to throw to, like you alluded mm-hmm. to. Uh, so, I mean, this year, like you said, you know, I know John Brown's your guy. He's been back. Uh, you know, he's back healthy, hopefully going to reclaim a little bit bigger of a target share. We know that Larry Fitzgerald is going to do that. Um, I mean, I, I still think that David Johnson is going to be, you know, top two or three in, in targets at the position, but it'll probably be closer to like 90 or 100 instead of like 120. Yeah, I think that's definitely fair. I mean, you look at what Larry Johnson did 
when he was getting all those touches back in the day for Kansas City. And everyone was so excited about him every year. Like, you know he's going to get these touches. You know what's also going to happen? The same thing that happens to every other running back that gets all these touches. They're going to fall off the face of the earth. That's going to happen to David Johnson eventually if he keeps getting all these touches. And it started to happen those last eight games of the season. So I am a little bit scared of him. I've got to say, Tags, I am now... On the Le'Veon Bell number one overall train, you talked me yes. into it. Um, yes. But man, David Johnson was awesome last year. No, it was it was a scare yesterday. If you guys were on Twitter at all yesterday, there was a big scare. Someone retweeted something about Le'Veon Bell being suspended from last year prior to the season, <laughs> and it and everybody started retweeting it. And it, when I see things like that, I always double check the source. I always double check the date, and you know, it, it got us all worried. I was like, you got to be kidding me! Like I, I really had hoped he moved on, and it appears he's still on the straight path. So I'm. I'm sticking with Le'Veon Bell as my number one pick. You know, if Le'Veon Bell played all 16 games, he was on pace for over 2,500 yards from scrimmage. That's an NFL record. Yep. And, it, and, and getting Martavis Bryant there on the outside is only going to take away attention out of the box. You can only concentrate so much on a running back when you have Antonio Brown, Martavis Bryant on the outside. It's just, it's ridiculous, the, the weapons they have in that offense. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, let's move on over to the listener mailbag. The first one comes from Twitter, J underscore Michael 5 wants to know how we approach building a dynasty team. Do you think people get caught up too much with age and potential? Anthony, you go ahead and take this one first. All right, cool. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think that people get caught up with age and potential. I know that when I build my dynasty teams, uh, I like to just attack players that I see have already been productive. Uh, Jacob Rickroad has written a bunch of stuff over at Rotoviz, and I, I know he's been on a couple podcasts saying, you know, that basically the, the best players have repeated year over year pretty consistently. Uh, so, you know, rather than use like those high leverage picks on guys, uh, you know, who I think could be good in a couple of years, I like to lock in, uh, you know, that, that quality production now. I, I really don't draft too many rookies. Uh, and I just try to, I try to put myself in a really good position to win the whole thing in the first year. Interesting. Tags, where do you stand on this, man? So I typically approach my dynasty teams with like a two to three year window. You know, you mentioned it, that there's a lot that changes in the NFL. And I, I want I want you guys to listen to these these episodes. I, I love the mailbag episode. I, I made time to prepare for it. I wanted to make sure I gave you guys the best information. So if you go back and look at dynasty startup ADP from just three years ago, it'll make you sick. Uh, Trent Richardson was the number two overall pick. CJ Spiller was number six. People Ooh. get caught up in this stuff all the time. And, you know, Doriel Green Beckham even just a couple years ago was a top 30 startup player. He's still coming back, baby. No. Oh, no, he's not. He's done. Uh, but basically, so what, I, what I'm saying is people do get caught up in the whole potential thing, but there is a point where potential is worth is is worth greater than the risk that you're taking. So I want to throw out an example here. We we had our Dynasty uh, Fantasy Pros Invitational Dynasty League start up just uh, it, was, it was about a month ago now. I drafted John Ross behind guys like uh, Kevin White, Emmanuel Sanders and Michael Crabtree. A few of those guys only have one to three years left. Like, you know, Emmanuel Sanders is 31 years old. Michael Crabtree is slow. I, I do believe that this is the year Amari Cooper takes a step forward. Crabtree a small step back. But for me, I'm looking at Ross's potential over the next 10 years. There, there comes a point where you have to evaluate, okay, do I want one to two years? What's your window? But if you're in a startup dynasty league, I highly suggest you look to players with a ceiling like that. Like, you know, Devin Funches, he's a guy that I got as the 80th wide receiver in that draft behind guys like Ted Ginn and Cole Beasley. There is not a chance that Ted Ginn or Cole Beasley will help you in a fantasy league. It's just not going to happen. Whereas Devin Funches still has the ability to potentially do that. So I, I think there's a good mix, but I think that Anthony's right in the fact, don't 
overestimate potential. Don't trade away proven studs for potential. Well, what if John Ross is the next Darius Hayward Bay? And what if Devin Funches is the next Brandon Coleman? I mean, you remember everyone being excited about him, a big target for the Saints. You know, Drew Brees is going to hit him in the red zone a lot. Is he even still in the NFL? No, no. I mean, well, that's, the th- that's what it comes down to is we're, we're all so hyped about these guys' potential, but I'm not sure it should change ADP as much. I know it shouldn't change ADP as much as it does from a, a standard redraft league, but, you know, I think even so- somewhere in the middle is too far. I think we should be a lot closer to standard redraft leagues. Win your league this year, you know, work the waiver wire, and, uh, you know, I think you'll be in fine shape for the next year as well. Well, that's another issue in Dynasty, though, is that it's hard to work a waiver wire because typically the guys aren't available. Like, you know, like the, the like if you play in Dynasty leagues, you're typically in leagues with your roster is at least 25 men deep in a 12 team league. That's just you're scraping things a little bit there. But for me, like John Ross, you, you mentioned it. He could be whoever. But if if you are confident in your assessment of a player, for me, I think John Ross is a better version of T.Y. Hilton. Now, granted, did he land in Whoa. T.Y. Hilton? I, do, you, do I think he's in a better situation than T.Y. Hilton? No, but I'm telling you that I th- I believe that John Ross is better after the catch than T.Y. Hilton. I think he's just as good as a route runner. It's just going to take time because of his situation. He didn't land with Andrew Luck in, in a vertical offense. He landed with Andy Dalton, with A.J. Green on the field as well. So it may take some time, but it, you, have to feel com- you have to feel comfortable in your assessment. Now, Devin Funches, that's more on like opportunity and taking him as the 80th wide receiver. There's almost no risk there. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You know, I mean, you're exactly right. You put T.Y. Hilton with Andy Dalton. Are we even talking about him? I mean, is he even a top 80? Oh, yes. 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 (laughs) Chime in, Anthony. Chime in. I mean, T.Y. Hilton has, like, never not been a producer, like, even going back to college. Like, I I actually do think that he's really good. But to your point, Mike, I, I think that you definitely, it's on, like, a sliding scale, right? Like, I think early you definitely want to attack the guys that you know are already good. And then as the draft goes on, you can take more of their shots. Like you said, like, Funchess that late there's no risk involved there you may as well take your flyers but like I think you know even like some of the older running backs like they fall into like that seventh or eighth round range like I would take those guys before I took a guy like Ross just because I think that you know if if they can produce as like an RB1 or an RB2 in year one like that's still going to give me like a really big advantage in that season because usually I have to take that guy in like round three or round four Running backs don't have a good shelf life anyway. I mean, you draft one of these young running backs, you still have three years on him. You know what I mean? So one year is not that big of a deal to get in the eighth round. Yeah. So, I mean, so my question, I guess, to you guys, John Ross, now granted, I'm higher than on him than most. I, I trust my eyes with him. I do believe that he's a phenomenal player. People are tying him into this, the speed guy, like, oh, he's like a J.J. Nelson type. No, he's not. But would you take him over a guy like Kevin White or even Emmanuel no. Sanders, who Emmanuel Sanders, who's 31 years old? No way over Kevin White. I'll let Anthony answer, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think over Kevin White, Bobby, you're going to want to cover yours for this, but, like, I, I really I really don't think that Kevin White is any good. So, like, I'm, I'm good I'm good with that. I'm good with that. Oh, man, I'm um, sad. But not over Sanders. I think Sanders has been just so productive for so long. I think he's going to have another top 24 season this year. Like, I, I really want to just lock in that production. And I honestly, like, if I think I can move back and, and use that capital, like, to get Emmanuel Plus, like I'd probably just do that if that was possible. Okay, we're going to hurry up and move on to the next question before anyone trashes Kevin White again. <laughs> um, so the next question comes from Tabby Tags on Twitter. Uh, their keepers, Matt Ryan in the seventh, Deshaun Jackson in the seventh, Gronk at two, and CJ Anderson with a sixth. She can keep three players. Which of these three are you guys keeping at these slots? 
Uh, this is my lovely wife in our keeper league, so I am not going to answer it. So I'll let you guys go ahead and do that for her. <laughs> Man, I, I guess my question would be, do you have to keep three keepers? I'm not so sure. I, I wouldn't want Deshaun Jackson in the seventh, unless this is like a 16 or 18 team league. C.J. Anderson in the sixth, that's a definite keeper. Uh, Gronk in the second, I mean, it depends on where you would be drafting in the second, but he's probably not a keeper with that. And Matt Ryan in the seventh, I think most people would tell you he's a keeper there, but I'm not drafting Matt Ryan in the seventh. Um, I just think he's due for a ton of touchdown regression. His touchdown percentage uh, was twice as high last year as it was the previous year, so I think he takes a big step backwards. I'm not saying all the way back to 3.5%, but... I think he takes a big step back, and he's not the number two quarterback. He's not the number four quarterback. I'd be shocked if he's a top six quarterback this year, especially with Kyle Shanahan gone. So if you can keep picks by only keeping one, I would go ahead and do that and keep C.J. Anderson. What do you think, Anthony? Uh, yeah, I think C.J. is definitely in play. I, I mean, my caveat is, like, I want to be picking towards, like, the top of the draft. So uh, if I'm if, if you have, like, a top six pick, then I think I'd, I'd keep CJ and I'd probably keep Gronk also because I think yeah. Gronk in the second half of the second round is, is a good uh, a good value. But if I was picking towards the back end and that's like an early second or an early sixth, I, I don't know if I would. All right, so I'm gonna I'm not gonna give her advice obviously, but what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna say like out of keeper leagues, people tend to sometimes forget. So Gronk for a second, it may sound like eh, you're just returning value there, but remember that if she doesn't keep Gronk here. It's basically you're getting a fifth round pick because if you look at the way the drafts are done uh, with, with keeper leagues, point, everybody's man. keeping three players, so it's essentially like the first three rounds are gone. So if you if you you know what I mean, like so it just it changes the thing, the scope of the things. You're not getting a second round player for Gronk. You're essentially getting arguably, I mean, at earliest like a third or a fourth round pick. So for me. It, it's pretty clear here. I think that the decision comes down to Matt Ryan or Deshaun Jackson for a seventh round pick. Because but I mean, think about it. Like David Johnson was a first round pick last year. Can he even be kept in that league? There's all kinds yes. of situations like that. Okay, well, um, okay, so David Johnson can be kept. I guess that Everybody. changes things yep. quite a bit. Exactly, okay. and that's the thing. Is that's what's the, I think that's like the big thing on keeper leagues because I get a lot of keeper league questions and a lot of these things are built into it, you know? Yeah, you know, I'll say this about Rob Gronkowski and I've said this on a couple shows but not quite to this point. We were talking about VBD earlier. There were only seven players in 2015 with a 100 plus VBD. Two of them were Rob Gronkowski and Brandon Marshall. Ah. Uh. Your boy, Brandon Marshall. There we go. My boy, Brandon Marshall. I mean, my boy, Brandon Marshall with like the 70th pick. It's not like I'm taking him in the top 50 or anything. I know. He's actually fallen to the point where I, I, I actually, I've I, actually selected him in a few MFL 10s because- There you he's, go. He's Good dude. Outside, well, he's fallen outside the top 30 picks, the top 30 wide receivers, and that's where I'm okay with him. But when he first went to the Giants, people were taking him right around the 20th receiver, which was just way too high. Yeah. Yeah. I think that is too high as well. Um, so question number three, what do you have for us, Tags? Hmm. JM Weeks 82 asks, he has a dynasty draft this weekend, rookies only, essentially. Uh, who should go number one? Full PPR, leaning Corey Davis, worried about Fournette is the next girly. Uh, before passing on to you guys, I, I, I have a response to this one. A, Fournette can also be Ezekiel Elliott. Don't play fantasy football scared. Trust your instincts here. Uh, B, wide receivers bust more often than early round running backs do because those early round running backs are going to get carries. And C, with that, all that being said, I love both players, so it really comes down to roster construction. In a vacuum, I'd say Davis, just because wide receivers tend to last longer in the league. And he happens to remind me of the guy we were just talking about, Brandon Marshall. So, Anthony, where do you sit on this? Yeah, I mean, Davis is my top pick. I think that he was the best prospect. At his position, obviously, in the draft, he went in the top five. 
just an amazing college producer at Western Michigan. I know that the you know the level of competition maybe wasn't as good as some other players, but even when he played some Power Five teams, he still dominated. So uh, you know that's probably my guy. I mean, if you need something a little more immediate at the running back position, I'd probably go Christian McCaffrey. Um, yeah, you probably I think the signing of Decker in Tennessee basically takes like a Corey Davis year one breakout off the table. Um, so if you're if you're like really hurting at running back and you need like that instant production to be a contender, then I probably go McCaffrey. But uh, in like a vacuum, yeah. I'm going Davis. For PPR, I'd definitely take McCaffrey over Mixon. But in standard leagues, I like Mixon more as an immediate talent uh, than McCaffrey. With that being said, for the top two picks. I don't think there's any chance Fournette will be the next Gurley because Fournette actually has talent around him. The Jaguars have a top 12 or 15 offensive line this year after adding some talent there. And uh, the Rams never had a top 25 offensive line. They never had a quarterback. They never had a wide receiver one or a wide receiver two. Jacksonville's got a lot of talent on offense. So I don't think Fournette can be him. With that being said, I don't think Fournette can be Ezekiel Elliott because Dallas has a top three run de- uh, offensive line in uh, in the NFL, and Jacksonville definitely does not. Fournette might be as talented, might be more talented than Elliott, but I don't think that he's going to run for, what what is it, 1,600 yards in his first year. <laughs> yeah. um, so I do like Fournette. With that being said, full PPR, it's definitely Davis. Standard league, it's, it's very close, but full PPR – Davis because of the longevity. I think the framing there is really interesting too. Like I'm worried that Fournette is the next Gurley because like last year, like we'd be really hyped, right? Like I mean, Gurley was just so good as a rookie. Like we wanted our guys to be the next Gurley and now it's like he had a bad year. Now we're worried. And and I'm not like saying that necessarily to JM Weeks. Like I think that that's like a, uh, like across the industry, like our mood on him has kind of like changed very, very quickly. It's it's so so funny you say that. I actually, before we started recording the show, I started writing up my Todd Gurley player profile and going back, and I've been going back through like the archives and looking at what people were saying about Todd Gurley coming into the league, what they were saying after 2015 and not, and what they're saying now. And it's like a roller coaster of emotion. Yeah, it's just totally crazy. I mean, I don't know really like which side I sit on now. Like I, I still kind of lean towards he's really good at football, just in a really bad situation. But, you know, we might not get to find out for a year or two. Yeah, right. I love that the uh, the next user in his Twitter handle has jorts in his handle because I was <laughs> notorious for wearing jorts when I played in my softball leagues until one fateful day I went up, robbed a homer and tore my jorts right in half. <laughs> It was in the middle of a doubleheader, so I just, I mean, it was the end of the game. It was the last play of the game, so I just went home, didn't tell anyone, because, like, what am I going to do? Just show them all that I tore my jorts in half? So I I wanted to keep them and have my wife sew them up, but she threw them away. It's a real big bummer. I miss them every single week when I play softball. Your wife is a smart woman. (laughs) She told me not to make any more. It's a bummer. Anyway, from EatMyJorts99 on Twitter, is Snead a wide receiver, too, now with Cooks gone? Uh, I mean, I definitely think so. I, I don't know. Like, I think it's probably close between him being basically like a low end wide receiver two or a high end wide receiver three. But yeah, I mean, you get these guys that play with Drew Brees, you know, that they're going to have high efficiency. Uh, you know, Willie Sneed hasn't, uh, done a great job of finding the end zone. I think, uh, Rick Rebar talked about that in your last episode, which was really good. Um, like, I, I, but I still think that that opportunity with Brees in that offense, you know, the volume's going to be there. Um, you know, I feel really good about him this, this season. I can't get on board with Snead as a wide receiver too, just because the names that you'd have to put over him or put him over in order to get there. Now, is it is it possible? Of course, if he scores more touchdowns, he's only sc- scored seven touchdowns in his career to this point, and that's despite getting 205 targets from Drew Brees. 
His role, oddly enough, doesn't really change that much with Brandon Cooks off to New England. Every single player, every single wide receiver in the in the New Orleans offense has a role, and Snead's role is not really changing that much. It, just as it didn't change too much when Michael Thomas got there, you actually saw Snead get three more targets when Michael Thomas was on the team. So it's like trying to figure out these pieces of the puzzle, and it's the same reason we can't project Michael Thomas to go out there and get 160 targets, is because the Saints have a formula. Sean Payton is one of the true geniuses uh, in terms of play callers in the NFL. So I, I do like the player. I think he's solid. But at the same time, I think he's actually he's slowly approaching the point where I think he's getting too expensive because people keep talking him up. I think he will end up in the wide receiver three range for fantasy leagues. It's just, you know, if he starts sneaking up into the top 30 wide receivers, that's where I'm out. Yeah, his his ECR right now is number 34. And ECR stands for Expert Consensus Rankings. So we put all the experts' rankings together and see where they stand as a consensus. So he's one spot ahead of Brandon Marshall. But for him to slip into the wide receiver two territory, I mean, there are a couple guys who are wide receiver twos that I like him more than. I like him more than Terrell Pryor. I like him more than Tyreek Hill. It's really close with Fitzgerald. It's actually kind of close with Jarvis Landry unless you're in a PPR league. But there's some guys ahead of him that he'd have to jump to that I like more. Martavis Bryant, Dante Moncrief, Stephon Diggs. I don't think he's quite a wide receiver too. With that being said, I think he's pretty close. Don't talk about my boy Stephon Diggs. Stephon Diggs is going to surprise some people this year. Oh yeah, no, maybe. I said I I'll like you I like that. Diggs. I like Diggs more than him. Oh, I have Diggs okay. as a wide receiver too, even gotcha. though he's ECR number thirty. It's a, it's a smart man, Bobby. You and I are in agreement. Holy yeah. Jesus, yes, that's awesome. Yeah, it's weird. And, and with Dante Moncrief, I mean, I saw your tweet the other day. Why don't you share that with all our listeners? Because Dante Moncrief, man, <laughs> so, oh boy, yeah, Dante Moncrief in 2016. People don't know he saw six targets inside the five yard line, and on those targets, he caught all. All six of them, all six of them were touchdowns. Uh, so, and then like someone said to me, you know, regression is a real thing that's going to happen. Well, if you go back to 2015, he only saw five targets inside the five and he scored on three of those. So it's quite possible that Dante Moncrief is just really dang good on the goal line. If he can figure yeah. things out in between the twenties, I think Dante Moncrief can be a special player. You know, and I think he could. I think the issue is that, you know, you've got T.Y. Hilton and Philip Dorsett who are really good. And Andrew Luck loves to throw to tight Phillip end. Philip Dorsett. So. Put him in the garbage. Philip Dorsett, in terms of uh, in terms of yards per route run, was among the best in all of football last year. Yeah, don't sleep on Kamar Aiken either. I, mean, I know. I was yeah, about to say, yeah, Kamar Aiken. Right. I'd take Aiken over Dorsett. Yeah, I, like I think he'll probably have more opportunities. But I think Dorsett's a nice player in a three wide receiver offense. Yeah, I mean, they've all been kind of the same guy, like, in terms of just, like, what they do in between the 20s. Like, yeah. uh, Moncrief has averaged, like, 7.1 yards per target. I think Dorsett's around that same area. Aiken's a little higher, 7.4. Uh, Moncrief definitely separates a little bit with the touchdowns, like you said. Like, I think that that's probably pretty legit. But, I mean, he could have, like, an empty eight touchdowns with, like, 600 right. yards. That doesn't really I do agree. much for you. Yeah, that's the rough part is we haven't seen him put it all together yet. And, by the way, if you all want to follow us on Twitter, it's at Mike Teglier NFL. I'm at Bobby Fantasy Pro, and you can find Anthony at A-M-I-C-S-T-A. And guys, before we move on to the next listener mailbag question, I want to give a shout out to the sponsor of today's show, TeamStake.com. If you're tired of hassling family and friends for fantasy league entry fees, try TeamStake. TeamStake provides fantasy sports leagues with a fully customizable payout collection system and payout distribution system at no charge. Like I said, it's completely free to use. It's super safe and secure, and it's user-friendly. You guys get your hands on this. You'll like it a lot. A lot of times, these things are kind of wonky, and you're like, I don't even know what to do here. But with TeamStake.com, it is really easy to use. Please support the sponsor of today's show and go to TeamStake.com. 
All right, and the next listener mailbag question comes from Texas, from Wade. He says, in a 14-team keeper league, that's .5 PPR. By the way, I love when you guys ask your questions when you tell us what the league is like. Because if you don't, the question always is, well, what's your league settings like? Anyway, Wade from Texas wants to know who we should select at number seven. His options are McCoy, Freeman, A.J. Green, or Mike Evans. And Tags, I know you're about to start a draft like right after this show, and you have the number seven pick, so... I'm going to let you answer first. What are you doing here? Well, it's a funny it's a funny question because like, you know, when I, I always talk to people when I say when you go into a, a draft, you don't want to be stuck into one in, into one strategy. But at the same time, when your league is that deep, you need to grab some running backs who are going to be guaranteed touches. The reason I say that is because you can find like, you know, da- further down the draft board, you can find wide receiver targets. I talked about Devin Funches earlier in the show. If he's starting and playing every snap like he's supposed to this year, he's going to approach 80 targets. You're not going to be able to find a running back down your draft board that's guaranteed you know 13 to 15 touches per game so for me you already have Mike Michael Thomas who is uh, he's a wide receiver one in my book so for me I would be looking to grab a a running back at this point uh, whether it be you know McCoy or, or Freeman considering you but you said in this in this league you cannot keep your first round pick so for me that's I go with LaShawn McCoy because it's the best win now scenario and this is the first round draft pick we're talking about what do you think Anthony who are you taking here uh, I'm going with Mike Evans I mean I'm a I'm a huge Evans fanboy so I mean maybe maybe the listeners want to take that with a grain of salt but like he's still a top five guy for me I know that they added Deshaun Jackson OJ Howard uh you know those guys but I mean I think at his position Evans is still going to be towards the top of the league in targets he's his efficiency probably is going to go up I think that we've pretty much seen that with guys who play with D-Jax. Like, you know, the top is coming off the defense and, and he's going to have a lot more opportunity to be efficient. So uh, I'm going with Evans there. And it's .5 PPR. So Evans is a great bet there. I typically like A.J. Green more than Evans in standard leagues. And uh, I'm not super fond of taking either of these running backs this high because McCoy, he got less than 50% of his team's carries last year. I mean, I know Buffalo is a really great offensive line, but they're due for regression from those 29 rushing touchdowns last year. So I think McCoy takes a step back. And uh, Freeman, I just don't know how long he can keep this up. They lost Kyle Shanahan. Their offensive line went backwards. Coleman is really good. So I like Mike Evans in this situation as well. Now, does it change your mind, guys, that Wade is already keeping Michael Thomas for his 10th round pick? Yeah, that's why I said is the fact that he already has Michael Thomas. He already has a wide receiver one on his team. If this was like if you were able to keep any of the players that he's drafting, yeah, I would be I'd be all over Evans as well. But the thing is, he he mentioned in this that they can't keep first round picks and it's going to be his first round pick. So this is essentially a short term thing. So we always have the dynasty mindset. Oh, wide receivers are worth more because they we could last longer. But this is a player that's going to go into the pool after this year. So, like I said, in a 14 team, it's going to be rough pickings if you wait until the second round to try and snap a running back because I'm guessing majority of them are kept and if they aren't they're going to be selected before you get there in the second round yeah and you know based on those options my pick was Mike Evans but if I had all the options like if this was my team I would be trading that pick because someone's going to be willing to trade up and get one of those guys I think you can trade back and uh, and get some kind of haul for it maybe move back to pick 13 and pick up an extra third round pick I'd do that in a heartbeat yeah, sometimes it's tough trading in keeper leagues. Like in dynasty leagues are different, but trading picks in a keeper, it, it's often more difficult in my experience. It, it may be completely different in everybody else's leagues, but uh, Anthony, do you have this experience in any of your keeper leagues? Yeah, it's interesting. Like we did, 
my league did a keeper, my home league, we did a keeper for a couple of years. We ended up just getting rid of it because it was just like such a headache with all like the trades and the trans, you know, the transactions because yeah, I mean, it's like so many other things to, to kind of keep in mind in terms of like how you want to set up your roster. I don't, I don't really do many keeper leagues anymore really because of that. Yeah. I, I think, um, you guys are just doing it wrong. Like you got to play politics <laughs> in the trading game. Like before someone even offers you a trade, what you do is you go to your friend and you say, Man, Ian is trying to acquire my number seven pick because he really wants Mike Evans. And so Colin's sitting there and he's like, I can't let Ian do that. I'm going to have to beat his price. And then I pull Ian into the conversation and then I get Mike in there. And before you know it, everyone's bidding for something they don't even really care to have just because they want to beat the next guy. I don't know. Maybe I'm playing with uh, with people who are easier to trade with than you guys. But trading is my favorite part of these things. That's why I love Dynasty League so much is because there's so much trading. For sure. All right. Question number six. Jim asks... He says he's in a keeper league where he has David Johnson and Jordan Howard. So two great running backs. I think great running backs, at least. I'm a big believer in Jordan Howard. I know I've been getting a lot of crap on Twitter about saying that uh, <laughs> that I think Jordan Howard's a better runner than LaShawn McCoy. But you know what? LaShawn McCoy had 0.8 yards per carry more than Howard before contact, and their yards per carry were pretty much identical. So, I mean, you can say what you want, but the underlying metrics say that Jordan Howard was a better runner last year. Now, passing game, it's not even the same. Anyway, let's move on to the question. (laughs) He's predicting who's going to be there for pick number 10. He's likely going to have the choice between Melvin Gordon, Devontae Freeman, A.J. Green. But if Green is gone, should he reach for another wide receiver or just go ahead and stack at running back? Oh, man, that's so tough, right? I mean, having having those running backs already in the chamber, I feel like I would want to start my, my draft with wide receivers. Now, if AJ Green is gone, I'm not really sure exactly who's going to be there. Like I I really like Jordy Nelson. Like personally, I like I like Nelson more than I like AJ Green, and he's going later. So I think it's possible that that a guy like Jordy is there. Um maybe even like a guy like TY Hilton who I still really like, but uh I wouldn't feel like necessarily compelled to take a running back just because I think that like quote unquote they might be like the best player on the board. Like I I'm all about team construction. If I already have yep. the best player in football or one of the two two or three best fantasy assets and Jordan Howard, I, I'm gonna start building that receiver core and hope to just dominate the league. I'm taking Jordy Nelson as well. Where are you, Tags? All right. So looking at this, you don't need another running back. Like that's for sure. You know, I mentioned that I think our last question that we talked about the importance of getting one of those running backs. You have two of those running backs that are just guaranteed volume. Now, do I have my concerns about Jordan Howard? Sure, I do. But at the same time, you don't need one. Cross your fingers and hope that Green is there so you can get one of the top 12 wide receivers. I think it's just important to grab a top 12 wide receiver as it is a top 12 running back. Uh, But with that being said, if you're choosing between someone like Demarius Thomas and Devonta Freeman, I I, I suppose you take another running back there and kind of go the zero wide receiver, you know, strategy, which which can work because there's guys like John Brown and Pierre Garçon that fall down the draft board that you're able to get there. You know, I'd even take Michael Thomas before one of the running backs there. All right. Question number seven from Dan Moore. Assuming the top three running backs are gone, who do you want to select at number four? Uh, I would, I mean, I'll just chime in this quickly. I'm just going to say I'd take Antonio Brown inside the top three picks. I'd probably take him over Ezekiel Elliott. So for me, Antonio Brown, hands down, he's my guy. I'm taking both Brown and Beckham over Ezekiel Elliott at this point. I mean, I don't remember who it was that came on the show and said, remember, guys, Ezekiel Elliott might be suspended for six games. We don't know what's going on there yet, and it's probably not going to happen, but there's a chance. And plus, Ezekiel Elliott, I mean, sure, he he was great last year, but he's due for regression. I think they're going to throw the ball more now that Prescott's not a rookie. Uh, You know, Des Bryant, I think, is going to be healthy this year. And Odell Beckham and Antonio Brown, man, when they're going— they're they're easily plus 120 VBD guys 
And I'm not sure you can say the same about Elliott this year. Yeah, I'm with you guys. I mean, I'm taking I'm taking Antonio Brown, and I'm probably even taking him higher than four for all the reasons you guys mentioned. Yep. If you go back to 2015, you know, just how the running backs had a historically good year in 2016. If you go back to 2015, Antonio Brown completely outscored every single running back, and it really wasn't all that close. So, you know, you can't let things swing one to, one way or another too far just because of one year. Antonio Brown has showed us year in, year out that he's the guy that you want on your fantasy team, regardless of whether or not Martavis Bryant is on the field with him, because I know some people are concerned about that. Just know that Antonio Brown had his two best seasons while Martavis Bryant was on the field with him. Yeah, and I mean, similar to what we were talking about with Deshaun Jackson and Mike Evans, like I think that having that other guy on the field, like even if, you know, Brown sees 10 less targets, like he may have like a, another half yard, you know, per target efficiency wise. So that's still, you know, it's still a net win. All right, guys, question number eight from Nate Hamilton on Twitter. Which player's recent hype and potential rise in ADP scares you the most enough to no longer draft him? Oh, man, we talked about Willie Sneed earlier, and he's definitely one of them. But the one for me is Marshawn Lynch. You know, when he signed with the Raiders, I liked it. You know, he's falling behind one of the top three offensive lines. He's on a great team that's got a good defense. They could run the ball a lot. We saw, you know, bad Latavius Murray able to finish as a top 15 running back because he just took goal line plunges all the time. I was talking with someone on Twitter the other day. I can't remember who it was, but we were talking about how bad Derek Carr has actually been inside the red zone in terms of like, you know, Amari Cooper and everybody else. Like he's one of the lesser efficient quarterbacks in the red zone. So I think that's why they run the ball so much. I mean, I took Lynch is being drafted now as the number 10 running back. That's just too high for a 31 year old that's been away from the game for a year and a half. I took him in an MFL 10 the other day just to get a slice of him. I got him in the third round, but I won't own any of him in redrafts at that price. Yeah, I'm looking at uh, ECR compared to ADP, which you can find on the Fantasy Pro site. Just go to Expert Consensus Rankings and you can sort it by uh, ADP minus ECR. And the highest guy in the top 100 is Marshawn Lynch. He's being drafted 15 spots ahead of where the experts say he should be drafted. Now, the next biggest guy is Delaney Walker. And that's a guy who hasn't seen a bunch of ADP rise lately. But, man, he is way too high for me. The player that, to me, that stands out that's being drafted too high, and I know this is a little bit deeper, but Joe Williams, man, his easy, his ADP has got way too high for me. I just don't think he's taken over Carlos Hyde. No, definitely not taking over Carlos Hyde. What about Joe Mixon, though? Joe Mixon is a guy that I, you know, Bobby, we and I, you and I have talked about on the show. We love Joe Mixon as the player, and we feel like he's going to get the starting job with Gio Bernard Shell, Jeremy Hill being bad and all that. But isn't there some risk here with Joe Mixon, the fact that, sure. you know, Jeremy Hill has been so good on the goal line? Sure. Yeah, there is risk. With that being said, I'd still draft Joe Mixon 10 spots higher than his current ADP if it came down to it. That's fire, Bobby. I mean, I'm not really as into Mixon. Like, I think that, I think like the reasons that people want to draft him makes sense. And like the upside is definitely there, but we're getting really dangerously close to just buying him at that upside. I mean, yes. if Gio Bernard is healthy, like, or whenever he gets healthy, he is going to catch passes out of the backfield. That's just what he's always done. And Jeremy Hill, like you said, has been very effective on the goal line. So. Yeah, I mean, it's not like outside the realm of possibility that Mixon is like this two down back in between the 20s and he ends up with like very few receptions and very few touchdowns. And that would obviously really stink at his current price. That's fair. With that being said, I think he's probably going to be better on the goal line and better in the passing game than both of those two running backs. I think there's a decent chance he'll end up as a top five running back this year. With that being said, I mean, I know there's some risk there, but I'm willing to pay for that upside, especially in the fourth round. Yeah, I could definitely. I mean, I, I get behind it. Like I said, I, I get behind the idea. Yeah. Anthony, is there anyone else who stands out to you here that you think is just uh, going too high at this point in their ADP to warrant drafting? 
Yeah, I mean, I'll stick at the running back position, going around the same range. Isaiah Crowell. I mean, when draft started yes. in February, he was going yes. like outside the top sixty, and now he's going as the the running back fifteen. He's going inside the top forty picks. Like, I mean, I, I think that Crowell played well last year. I think that he's probably the lead back entering this season. But I mean, <laughs> I, I'm not really that sure that the Browns are going to have the game script for him to all of a sudden be like this thousand yard eight touchdown runner and mm-hmm. they still have duke johnson who yeah who's again, good yeah he I, he's hashtag good at football and I, I like him like i think you know duke is going to continue to catch a ton of passes and if he gets used a little bit more in the run game that obviously takes away from crowell and and makes duke an even better steal in like the 10th round you know i i really don't like that everyone's saying crowell had such a great year last year considering he was really good for 16 carries. Besides that, he was one of the worst running backs in football behind a great offensive line. Yeah, I, I mentioned a stat uh, not long ago where if you take out his top, his his best three carries, that's all I said, three carries. It's not like, you know, I never, I'm never that type of guy, oh, if you move one carry a game, is this and that. I'm talking about three carries over the course of an entire season. Uh, he dropped down from his 4.8 yards per carry to 3.8. So it was it was a massive drop off. He broke off a few big runs. And, you know, this is where, this is where a mediocre talent meets a really good offensive line that's why he's starting to be drafted as a high-end rb2 but i'm with you anthony he's starting to creep into that rb1 range and that's just way too expensive for a guy that's just not very talented uh, the last guy i want to talk about before we move on to the next question is jordan reed his ecr right now is 44 which is way too high for me a guy who's had what six seven concussions in his career it's going to happen again at some point this year maybe knock him out for the full season he's being drafted 36th overall that is just way, way too much risk. I think he's the single riskiest player in the top 50, and I'm not touching him. I kind of like Jordan Reed just because he's been the, the number one tight end in fantasy points per game the last two years. Like I, I don't know if his injury profile, I, I know it's head injuries, and that's definitely always scary, but I'm not sure that like his injury risk is significantly worse than Rob Gronkowski's. Okay. Uh, and he's going in the second round. So like I, I kind of feel like those guys are similar, and uh, as a result, Interesting. I'm, like, I'm like comfortable with Reed, I think, at his price. All right, guys, next question. These ones are coming to us from Reddit. It takes some luck, says Lynch's ADP is 20 overall. Where would you actually consider taking him? This is basically what I just mentioned is like we're starting to see a creep up so much. The top 20 player, I just, I can't do that. But where do I feel comfortable drafting him? I I mean, would you draft him in the top 40 tags? It's (sighs) close for me. I don't know if I would. The top 40, you're looking at the start of the fourth round. So that's not so bad. I think that's where I feel comfortable in doing that. The best part about him is that you're able to handcuff him for free. So I think Lynch, Lynch is actually, I think he's worth more in deeper leagues where you're able to have a really, really deep bench because I think DeAndre Washington is a solid sleeper in case something does happen happen to Lynch. With that being said, I'm, there's no way you're getting him in the fourth round because he's going to go before that in redraft league. So I unfortunately won't own any of him, but I would say that you're right, Bobby. I'd say right around the start of the fourth round is when I would, I, I'd feel comfortable with him. Okay. What about you, Anthony? Yeah, I agree. I, I think there's definitely risk there. I mean, the guy hasn't played football in a year. He does have other talented runners in his backfield. I love DeAndre Washington. Uh, and this is a team that threw a lot on the goal line and in the red zone last season. I mean, certainly they didn't have Lynch to pound it in, but I don't think it's a lock that Lynch is like, going to come back and all of a sudden be an RB1. So yeah, I think fourth round, fifth round, that's probably where I'd be comfortable taking him. You know, there's a big running back who's really good on the goal line and uh, not very good, but you know he's going to get a bunch of carries. He's being drafted as the number 30 running back right now. Tags, do you know who I'm talking about? He also has the number one offensive line in the league, according to Pro Football Focus. Oh God, I I, I saw this and I'm, now I, I don't know why I'm drawing a blank right now. Because I remember seeing that on the list. I was like, no way. Are we talking about Derrick Henry? No, LGB, man. He's going to get like 15 touches a game. I know he's not very good, 
but he's going to get a bunch of touchdowns. I mean, I'd be willing to bet he gets 8 to 12 touchdowns again this season. He's going to get all those carries. So if he rushes the ball 250 times, he's he's a lock to get at least 800, 900 yards. Even if he's not very good, he's going to get the touchdowns. And he should have no problem getting all those yards behind that great offensive line. I'm not a big fan. I'm not a big fan of Garrett Blunt. I think that that ranking, I, I do recall now the Eagles popped up on there. I don't think that the Eagles offensive line is even, I don't think that they're the number one offensive line. They're solid. But at the same time, if you go back and look at Ryan Matthews last year, even before he was hurt, Ryan they had Matthews, so many injuries and they added a bunch of pieces. Off I, he was, but the thing was, is it, it comes down to Doug Peterson, not using a, a running back consistently. He was rotating them in and out of the field, yeah. whether it be him, whether it be Darren Sproles, you know, Wendell Smallwood, uh, uh, who was it? Who else was it that was carrying a role last year I'm forgetting his name right now uh Kenjin Barner but but at the same that's what I'm saying is just like Ryan, Ryan Matthews is a better all-around running back so that you're not as one-dimensional as an offense LeGarrette Blunt to me is just he would have been yeah but he had so many fumble issues like you can't keep throwing that guy out there the reason they went out and got LeGarrette is because they had all these running back issues yeah. I think that he changes his ways this year because he has this guy it's it's fair for you to wonder that, but I don't think Legarrette Blunt is that talented in order to take over, like in in order to pass. I think I don't think he's even close to as talented as Ryan Matthews, and that's just that's just me. Anthony, what do you think about LGB? Is he being drafted too high at number sixty two? Uh no, I, I probably. Oh yeah, I would say he's too high there. Yeah, I'm not really as into him. I, I'm kind of more with Mike. Like I don't know if I mean we definitely know that he's not going to catch any footballs, which for me is always a huge <laughs> <Yeah>. problem. Um, <laughs> I like the guys that catch passes, and I mean his touchdown upside is kind of determined by the productivity of the offense, and I'm not really sure if I buy Carson Wentz as good enough to get them, you know, the looks that he needs really to be productive inside the five. Agreed. I think that's fair. Yeah, I guess my point in bringing it up was Lynch is being drafted so much higher than a guy that I think is fairly similar in a better situation. All right, guys, uh, next question on Reddit from Emo Toaster. Where is your I love this question, by the way. Where's your (laughs) ideal spot to pick in a 14 team draft and who are your ideal but realistic players to grab in rounds one and two? Go ahead and take this one, Anthony. I think for me, I want to pick four. I think that at the fourth pick, assuming that like the top three picks are chalk, that means that like, they're going to be running backs, and that means I get Antonio Brown. I pick four, which I'm I'm totally comfortable with. If Antonio Brown goes, uh, maybe I take OBJ or someone instead. But I'm definitely going receiver at four, uh, and then in the second round, I like Gronkowski. I think that he's definitely someone that I'm I'm willing to uh, you know take the plunge there on him. I, if someone like uh, Jordy Nelson were to fall all the way, I'd probably do that also, or DeAndre Hopkins, but. I, Maybe in a Doug Baldwin, but I'd say most likely I'd start like Antonio Brown Gronk. What about you, Tags? I mean, you know, it's I always mention this is if I want to be at either the start of the draft because you you always want one of those top players or I want to be in the middle of the draft. And this year, I think that pick is not at number six for me because that way you're guaranteed at least one of the top three wide receivers or top three running backs. However, the draft falls. And the reason I like being in the middle of a draft is because you don't feel the need to reach on a player in case there's a, a trend that goes at like in at that position, like a run. So if you start to see run, wide receivers fly off the board, you're going to feel pressured to reach for someone. One, if you're one of the turns, you know, I, I hear people say this all the time. Oh, I want to be on the turn. I get two players and, you know, you reach for players at that point. Like if, if you want Sammy Watkins and you're at the one, two turn or the three, four turn, 
and you want him on your team, I think you have to reach for him at, at the one-two turning if you want to guarantee he's on your roster. You don't want to do that. I, I'm a big proponent of Sammy Watkins this year, but you do not want to reach for a player like that. So for me, I want to be in the middle of the draft, take one of the top three wide receivers, top three running backs, and whichever one I land there in a 14-team league, I want to get the opposite position in the second round, providing it's of similar value. So if I get, let's say, Julio Jones at six, I'm going to be looking for the best running back on my board in the second round. You know, we were actually talking about this question before uh, we did the podcast, even forgetting that we were going to talk about it during the podcast. And I was saying number four is the best spot. I think four through six is the sweet spot for a 12-team league. However, the question was for a 14-team league. And so, you know, if we're looking at uh, the second round pick in a 14-team league, that's number 25 overall. I don't know if Gronk's going to drop there. He's the guy that I want in the second round. With that being said, you know, in order to get him in the second round, I'd have to drop down to like seven or eight. And that's the worst spot to draft. I mean, what are you going to do? We already talked about this. LaShawn McCoy, Mike Evans, Melvin Gordon. No, I'm not really interested in them at those spots because it's a huge drop off from six to seven as far as I'm concerned. So what I'm actually going to do here in a 14 team league, I'll take pick number one or pick number two. I think I'll get Le'Veon Bell either way. And then I'm going to go ahead and get Sammy Watkins. I'm only reaching, what, four picks for him? And I can justify that big time. And I'm going back to back. I'm going to take Keenan Allen there. I definitely get behind that. I'm, I'm, on, I'm on Team Keenan Allen. I know, I know yeah, my baby. Business, but uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm on board. So I, I'm, I'm cool with that for sure. I like it. Yeah, I'd also go Aaron Rodgers there. I mean, we've talked about his VBD before. Every single year he's been healthy. He's been top 10 in all of football. Yet he's being drafted right around 25. So, um, you know, I, I think this hate... On drafting quarterbacks early has gone a little bit too far. I think you can get a value for Aaron Rodgers there. In fact, I think I have him ranked higher than Keenan Allen, so it would be tough for me, but I love having Keenan on my teams. All right, and guys, we've got one more listener mailbag question. This one comes to us from my underscore chat underscore account on Reddit. Looking at 2017 only, what are your thoughts on Sammy Watkins and Allen Robinson in terms of ceiling and floor? Which would you rather have and how big is the gap between the two? You know, it's funny, Bobby, as we've done these shows and we talk more and more, I know we had Rich Rebar on talking about, you know, these players last uh, last show, actually. So for me, Sammy Watkins is a guy that went on the field. He's performed. He had a second foot surgery. This is the this is the type of player that has performed with Tyrod Taylor. As long as Tyrod Taylor is there starting, I'm OK with it. If they had spent more equity, you know, on, on the quarterback position outside of Nathan Peterman, I'd be a little bit more concerned. So I will trust Tyrod Taylor more than I will trust Blake Bortles. But I will tell you this. I'm starting to come around a little bit on Allen Robinson and starting to be OK with drafting him in the third round. And because because if you know, if you look at last year, sure, the numbers were Pathetic. They were uh, honestly the worst in the NFL in terms of what an average player would have done with his targets. He finished with 40 fewer fantasy points than he was supposed to. At the same time, in 2015, he was one of the better players in the NFL. I think there's a middle ground here. The fact that they have not signed a tight end and that, you know, is it Mercedes Lewis going to be the starting tight end there? Leonard Fournette brings in safeties, you know, like that's what he's going to do for this team. They signed, they drafted a left tackle. So there are things about the Jaguars they've done that, that should increase the productivity of Allen Robinson or not necessarily the target share, but we're talking about the efficiency of those targets. I think he gets closer to what the average would be this year. And even if Blake Bortles takes a slight step forward, it helps his outlook. So for me, I'm okay with Allen Robinson. I'm getting more and more on board with it. He's going to be someone I'm going to write up really soon because I need to look deeper into it. But Sammy Watkins is the proven guy here. He's a stud, went on the field, and I think he's finally healthy. 
You're selling me on Allen Robinson. I was really down on him. Anthony, I'm wondering where you stand on these two. Uh, I'm, I'm big time on Sammy Watkins. I don't think that this is necessarily too close. Uh, I mean, Watkins really smokes him in terms of efficiency, uh, both in terms of yards per target and touchdown rate when he's been healthy. Uh, the, the thing with Allen Robinson is that, yeah, like I think it's most likely that he probably falls somewhere in between his, his 2015 and his 2016 season. But if you just look at like his three-year efficiency, and I just wrote about this over at Rotoviz, like his production has been identical really to Kelvin Benjamin. And like Kelvin Benjamin is a guy that we dog all the time. And like we love Allen Robinson because of how good he was uh, two years ago. But like I'm not really necessarily sure that Robinson is going to continue to command 150 targets, um, you know, given that he really just hasn't been that great outside of all those touchdowns and, and how well he played in 2015. So is he even uh, the number one there or is Lee? It's probably still Robinson, but I think it's close. And I think that that's that's definitely part of it like uh, if they're going to scale back Blake Bortles attempts this year and, and I know you guys have talked about this before like that I want volume from my receivers and if they're not going to have volume I want them to have elite efficiency and I feel like Watkins really falls into that latter category where his efficiency is amazing uh, and if he stays healthy I know he's going to produce whereas with Robinson uh, you know he just played 16 games and I, I was never really sure if I could play him or not like I, I'm, yeah. I'm not really into him you know, um, I'm looking at ECR right now. Allen Robinson, according to the experts, is four spots better than Sammy Watkins. His ADP, they're right about the same, 38 and 39. So they're both going a little bit later than their ECR. With that being said, I don't even think it's really close. I consider Sammy Watkins a top 25 player and Allen Robinson maybe top 35. I mean, Sammy Watkins, when he's been on the field, has been the single most efficient wide receiver, better than Antonio Brown, better than Julio Jones, better than Odell Beckham Jr., and when Allen Robinson is on the field, I mean, yeah, he had all those touchdowns two years ago. But, I mean, you asked about ceiling and floor. Allen Robinson's ceiling, we've already seen it. It's all those touchdowns. I don't think it's attainable again. It was like a freak season, a big-time fluke. So I would say his ceiling is right there around a borderline first-round pick. Sammy Watkins can be the wide receiver number one. Is it going to happen? Would I bet on it? Absolutely not. I would definitely take Antonio Brown and Julio Jones and Odell Beckham above him. Uh, Mike Evans, A.J. Green, it's not even close. But with that being said, if Sammy Watkins is on the field, you better believe he's going to be a top eight wide receiver and he has a chance to be the best. Now, in terms of floor, I mean, obviously Watkins has, uh, you know, that foot injury, which could linger. So his floor is significantly worse. Allen Robinson, I think his floor is what we saw last year. So make of that what you will, but I'm definitely taking Watkins over Robinson. Yeah, I mean, and kind of like, what do you think is worse? I, I think this is a really interesting question. Like, this is something that I talk about sometimes. Like, what's worse? Like, not being on the field. So in other words, like, like Keenan Allen, for instance, last year, like got hurt. Like, you just didn't have to worry about playing him. Is that necessarily worse than what Robinson did, which was, well, he's, he's healthy. I have him like I'm probably gonna put him on my lineup and then he stinks yeah I mean it's like what what would you rather do would you rather start Devontae Parker and know what you're well Devontae Parker's a bad example but Eric Decker and know what you're gonna get I mean he's a, a wide receiver four at this point according to ECR or would you rather start Allen Robinson and just you know get six or seven busts during the season no I'm with you I, and I love Eric Decker by the way so that's that's a buy yeah yeah, yeah that ADP is gonna rise for sure oh, Tags, yeah. what do you think about this man which would you rather have like an inconsistent top three pick that you have to start every week 
or someone who could just get hurt and then so what? I am 100% on board with Sammy Watkins. Uh, it's funny, the mock draft that you were talking about, this 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 expert draft that Jamie Eisenberg invited me into, Sammy Watkins was in the third round. He was on the board. I took him. I, I feel more than yes. comfortable. I have You're going to win. I have him as my number 12 wide receiver. Uh, I have Allen Robinson at 15 right now. Sammy Watkins is the type of player, when he's playing – you have him in your lineup. If he's playing hurt, that's an issue. But right now, all signs point to him being healthy, to him looking really good. I saw a few clips of him cutting on that foot, and it's it's really getting over that psychological portion of, of the injury that he had to deal with. And, you know, the second surgery, I've talked about it before, is that Julio Jones, Des Bryant, Julian Edelman, these are all players that required two surgeries to their foot to get better, and all of them were returned to the stud that they were before injury. So when, when you add Zay Jones into the mix for Sammy Watkins to help detract, you know, Sammy Watkins has done all this while being the alpha dog on the team while there was no other threat so for me you know LaShawn McCoy's a year older their running depth the running back depth isn't nearly as what it was with the Bills they should pass more often all signs to me tell me like if you were to give me you were to say Sammy Watkins is going to play all 16 games this year I would draft him as a top eight wide receiver and I wouldn't even think twice about it yep yep me too well I mean I guess the question would be are you telling every wide receiver that they're going to play all 16 games yes Yes, if okay, every yeah. wide receiver I, I, played 16 games, I have no doubt in my mind that Sammy Watkins would finish top eight. I'd draft him above T.Y. Hilton. I'd draft him above Jordy Nelson, Des Bryant, Amari Cooper. Yeah, absolutely. I'm right with you. Well, guys, that's all we have for today's show. Anthony, it was a lot of fun. Really appreciate you coming on. Thanks, Bobby. It was great being here. It's our pleasure. All right, and for those of you listening at home, we've got two more shows coming up next week, two the following week, and then we're going to three every single week from there on out. Guys, it's going to be a lot of fun. We really appreciate all the support, and for those of you listening, remember we've got the T.Y. Hilton signed jersey giveaway, and the contest ends Sunday night, so make sure to get your entries in. Thanks for listening, and enjoy your football. I just wanted you to watch me dissolve.